This is the John Oakley Show podcast. A great day for talk radio as we continue through the Tuesday edition. Our panel coming up shortly. Kevin Gaudet, Alyssa Freeman, and Andrew Cash will weigh in on, uh, well, all these topics, uh, some of which we've actually broached earlier today. I was just talking last hour about uh, the idea that Toronto health officials want to see the feds decriminalize possession of all drugs as a way to fight drug abuse. Uh, Whether or not this is primarily a health issue or is it a criminal issue, uh, we'll debate that. may, in fact, turn out to be a political issue as well. But, you know, on the matter of uh, criminal law, I defer to higher sources, including Joseph Newberger, Global News Radio's legal expert with Newberger and Partners, because there are some issues that I want clarification on points of law about, and uh, that's why we've got Joe joining us here this afternoon. Joseph, good afternoon as always. John, great to hear your voice. Likewise. So listen, let me start with something I was reading earlier today where uh, the CBC is being sued by Subway, you know, the sandwich maker, because I guess their show Marketplace, one of their signature shows, investigative journalism and all that, uh, back in 2017 did a study on five fast food outlets and the makeup of their chicken in their sandwiches. And uh, they say anyway in the report uh, that the chicken was, you know, roughly after subjecting it to DNA testing, about 50% actual chicken. And so what the other stuff was, I don't know, but Subway disputes that, says, uh, you know, there was flawed methodology involved in this anyway. They say it hurt their business. And so they're suing for $210 million and the CBC is uh, sort of falling back uh, on something called anti-slap legislation uh, to dismiss this lawsuit that apparently it's going to court at the end of September. So tell me about this anti-slap uh, legislation or the uh, the law uh, as it exists in Ontario. Well, the idea of that legislation is to prevent um, lawsuits or litigation being used as a means to unduly limiting expression on matters of public interest. So any you know media agency does investigative journalism and they come out with a particular finding based upon some area that we're interested in, whether it's a company selling food or maybe it's in the insurance industry, anything that has a public interest to it. And of course, this investigation by CBC would have a public interest simply because of the health and nutrition issues. Um, They're seeking to throw out the defamation lawsuit under that legislation because of specifically they're saying it's like a bullying tactic. And the idea is to shut down freedom of expression and the ability for somebody like CBC to do this type of investigative journalism. All right. So, but if the lawsuit would be thrown out on this premise, uh, what defense would uh, the company have, or at least uh, how could they petition the court that uh, they might have a legitimate grievance? Well, I think the court, in assessing whether uh, the subway defamation lawsuit should be uh, thrown out, will have to assess the legitimacy of the actual uh, lawsuit. And that, to a large extent, will rely upon the um, the rigor that was used uh, by CBC in doing this investigation. And Subway is alleging that, in fact, there was uh, insufficient rigor uh, in their investigation and maybe a small sample. And unless it uh, had the sufficient scientific rigor that would be necessary in order to put out information that would be accurate, they may have legitimacy to this lawsuit. So the judge on this lawsuit will very carefully have to dive into the merits of the litigation by a subway. And if they are able to show that there is you know, significant flaws and lack of scientific rigor employed by an investigation by CBC, I think they have a very strong chance of surviving this motion 
brought by CBC. All right. And so for any investigative journalist show like uh, 60 Minutes could torch some other company or interest. And uh, if they can show damages, but it's determined rather that this was done in the public interest, uh, the hell with it. The damages don't matter because the public interest was served. Maybe. It's a very careful balancing act. I, I think uh, judges and courts are going to be very, very careful about throwing out legitimate lawsuits simply because of the protection of, um, uh, of freedom of expression, because this lawsuit doesn't prevent CBC or any other media agency from continuing to do what they do. It's just a question of damages. And CBC, like any other media agency, if they get it wrong and cause significant damage uh, to a company, that has lasting impact for that company and shareholders of that company or employees of that company. So litigation has to be able to proceed when there's legitimate merit to that litigation. So it's going to be a very careful balancing act. I think this is used much more rarely where it's really a bullying tactic um, and and the, the media agency is responding because that's purely what it is. This may be very interesting if I could you know, get my hands on the pleadings of the of subway because they may have very good scientific evidence to show what cbc did was insufficient and therefore caused damages and lawsuit will probably continue yeah so the onus is on them to prove their case as well correct okay this is relatively new legalized uh, law in this uh, province isn't it i think it is um and you know whether this act is in place or not, I mean, I think judges are always sensitive to unmeritorious litigation. We've always had in the civil context summary judgment. If there's no tribal issue because the action brought by a plaintiff is really garbage, then you can have it thrown out. So the fact that this came in under the Courts of Justice Act, or, or I think it is under that particular act, you know, I, I think we've always had the mechanisms to deal with, you know, unmeritorious litigation. But and I get the idea to protect, um, you know, media with respect to freedom of expression, especially when we might have very fractious political issues going on. But this may not be one of those cases where this should be used at all. Yeah, I'm kind of curious how they arrived at the figure of $210 million for damages. I mean, yeah. how they quantify that is anyone's guess. Let me move on, though. Joe Newberger is with us, Global News Radio's legal expert. This uh, story that came out prior to the release of the uh, report on the inquiry into missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls, uh, some talk of, uh, at least it was one of the re- recommendations, harsher sentences for those who commit crimes against Indigenous women. Seems that's been shot down, or at least it percolates in certain sectors. Uh, any merit to that at all? I, no, and you know me. My position on you know mandatory minimums or increasing pel- penalties specifically just because of an identifiable group, in my opinion, is... Uh, not fair uh, to other groups that may be victims of of similar offenses. And judges have a very broad discretion under all the provisions under the criminal code that involve violence against women to mete out appropriate sentences. So I don't think this is uh, a particularly efficacious approach by by the government. And I think that there are other ways that the government can proceed to deal with the problems that are Indigenous communities. And and the other thing about deterrence is I think it's basically a fallacy. It, mandatory minimums, when people are in a bad state and they commit crimes, they're not thinking about what I could get in court or what the last judgment was. Of course, they don't even have access to it. So I don't think this is the way to go, and there needs to be a more holistic approach as to 
violence in the indigenous community because they're suffering in so many other ways as well that there needs to be a more cohesive plan and and, and really work with these communities to try and dig at the roots of this violence. Finally, Joe, let me ask you about a groundbreaking case, or so it's described, uh, that came out Friday from Ontario's Court of Appeal, top court in the province, about uh, a woman divorced, and uh, she and her then-husband, back several years ago, had purchased four frozen embryos uh, that... They wanted implanted. One was successfully implanted, but uh, they've since divorced. And now what to do with the embryo? And uh, she said, well, according to a contract that uh, they had agreed to, she had control over that. Uh, he said now that they're divorced, he's changed his mind. And uh, a lower court actually said uh, they deferred to her and, uh, you know, gave her the ruling in her favor. Uh, but this has been contested at the Ontario Court of Appeal level. And basically the Court of Appeal uh, kind of, tossed both parties out of the water on this one, and uh, I guess the embryos are going to be donated now. Uh, It was cited as contract law uh, as well as uh, something that was, I guess, uh, property law in principle, but the court didn't buy either of those two arguments. Well, how is that? That's correct. So the Court of Appeal said this was framed uh, incorrectly, and There is uh, legislation on point. It's the Assisted Human Reproduction Act and related regulations that were in play, not contract or property law. And so the Justice of the Court of Appeal who wrote the decision, who's exceptionally uh, bright and experienced, uh, found that the the, the former husband's right was an unmitigated right to withdraw his consent, and that overtakes any type of contractual, uh, contractual agreement to the contrary. You can't contract out of consent. And this is a consent issue because it's it's the, a, a life that could be created that was, you know, purchased by two people with a time at a time when they were together as a couple. So, the court very specifically wrote that the idea that the donor consent can become frozen in time, rendered unsusceptible to changes of the mind, belies the central importance placed upon consent in the statutory scheme. And that is a very good point, because consent always has to remain this uh, former husband has a right in time to change his mind and change his mind on consent. And this speaks to a certain extent to the criminal law. And so this is about the implantation of an embryo and the birth of a human being. It's not, this isn't about purchasing land or division of property. This is a very serious human reproduction issue. And I think the Court of Appeal, although groundbreaking, uh, came to the right decision. I think what's ominous about this is that the lower courts got it wrong. I mean, it sounds so, uh, well, you know, uh, reasonable the way you've described it and the way the Court of Appeal ruled uh, based on, uh, I guess, Parliament imposing this consent-based rather than contract-based model, and yet they got it wrong at the lower court. Why do you suppose that would be? Well, look, these are not easy cases. So the Superior Court had had a challenging case in front of them. There's really no... This was an unprecedented case with no law to really guide uh, the judge. And I think both of the litigants uh, framed their arguments uh, with respect to property and contract law and and really did not properly frame the argument uh, with respect to um, the act which the Court of Appeal relies on. And so that, to some extent, um, you know, directed the judge in a direction where uh, he or she should not have gone. Um, and, and the judge in the Court of Appeal specifically states that neither party raised uh, the consent issue and framed it accordingly. Uh, both parties maintained the embryo as property governed by contract law. So 
you know, I have a lot of sympathy for the judge in a, in a case where there's absolutely no precedent to guide him or her. And I'm not familiar with the judge. And so it, it, you know, it doesn't surprise me that people sometimes make mistakes. Judges are human beings as well. And um, that's why we have appellate courts, because they have a chance to look at it afresh and then make the right decision. Well, okay. Uh, you know, it's just something that's sunk in. Human embryos is property to be contracted. Uh, yeah. in- interesting. Well, that's where it uh, was defeated, and uh, I guess the Court of Appeal got it right. Joe, always great to hear from you and uh, get your perspective. I appreciate it. Thanks so much, John. Have a great show as usual. Thank you. Joseph Newberger, Global News Radio's legal expert with Newberger and Partners. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.